Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13, as we pick up our series that will end next Sunday, as we will close with chapter 4 next week. Beginning in verse 13, we read these words, Your words have been harsh against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, for even they even tempt God and go free. Then those, verse 16, who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and he heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Verse 17, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. And on the day that I make them, on that day, I will make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And then verse 18, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. And Lord, we want to never, ever take lightly this time that we look into your word. We believe that your word is living, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe that it is life to us. And we have gathered in this place to celebrate you, but to hear from you as well. So I pray, Lord, in these next few minutes, no matter what we have on our minds, no matter what we have brought into this place, no matter what concerns or burdens we may carry, help us to lay those down for these next few minutes and let us hear the word of the Lord. I pray, God, that you would supernaturally captivate the attention of every single person in this sanctuary today. May we hear clearly what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and may the word of the Lord change us today. I pray, God, for your anointing upon my life. And Lord, I never want to presume upon that. I know it's not a commodity that we work for or that we could ever deserve or earn. So I ask again for that gift of grace that you would anoint me so that I might communicate your word in clarity, in power, in boldness, but in the spirit of grace in which it is spoken to us by the prophet. So change our hearts today, Lord. Help us hear from you in these moments that we share. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are wrapping up or beginning the wrap up process of this series. And we are gonna look at the first part of Malachi's final words as he brings this prophecy to an end and by the way I'll say this again next week this will be the last prophetic word that that will be received by the people of God until the announcement of Gabriel that Jesus would be born about 400 years will pass from Malachi 
to the birth of Christ or the announcement of his birth. And so this is the last prophetic word to the people of God that they will receive for some four centuries. And so in this beginning wrap up of Malachi's final words, he is going to address two kinds of people. Number one, those who live their lives disobedient, unhappy, always challenging God, always grumbling, always complaining. How many do not want to be one of those people? Well, I guess three of you do not, and the rest of you are, apparently, so. And those people that patiently wait for the full revelation of God in their lives. How many want to be one of those kind of people? So in this text, there's also this really beautiful portrait of God's mercy and his patience with us. And so as we work through the text, I want us to keep in mind the words of verse 17. We're going to put them on the screen again. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, on that day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves them. In the English Standard Version, it reads this way. Um, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. The word for um, treasured possession is the Hebrew word segala. And, and it is a word that is used in a variety of ways, but most often it is used as it is used in 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, David had 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver and then the Bible says that he stored an additional offering, which was his treasured possession, his segala. It was like David had a lot of wealth, but then he had this special possession that he put in like we would call a safety deposit box. This is where I'm going to guard, David said, my, my treasured possession. God says we are his treasured possession. It's like he puts us in a safety deposit box and guards us and loves us and cares for us. So today I want to talk about what it looks like when we are God's treasured possession. But before we get there, there are two kinds of people that we want to deal with. First of all, people who approach God grudgingly. And therefore, because they approach God that way, their position before God lacks security. There is no certainty in their walk with God. Look at verse 13, 14, and 15 again. Your words, God says, they've been harsh against me. And then you turn around and say, well, what have we said about you? Well, here's what you've said. You have said it's useless to serve God. You have said, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance or his laws and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? You have said, you are calling the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God, you say, and they go free. Now, let me just ask you to, to look at me here for just a moment and let's kind of recapture the spirit of the book of Malachi. 
Notice the repeating pattern of their grudging rebellion against God. God speaks about what the people are doing wrong, and they deny it. God says, you have spoken harsh words against me, and they say, well, how have we spoken harsh words against you? This has happened before several times in the book of Malachi already. Remember, in chapter 1, God said, I have loved you, and they say, how have you loved us? In chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, you have despised my name, and they say, how have we despised your name? In chapter 2 and verse 17, God said, you have wearied me, and they said, how have we wearied you? In chapter 3 and verse 7, God said to return to me, and they said, how can we return to you? And later on in chapter 3, God says, are you going to rob God? And they said, how have we robbed you? So every step of the way, when God calls them out, they just respond to him like, well, how did that happen? How is that the case? And so they have this kind of grudging pushback toward God, and they are clearly unconscious about their many sins. They just automatically disbelieve, and they automatically throw a contradiction at God. They are slow to learn, and they make the same mistake over and over again, which is, by the way, sadly, the history of the people of God in the Bible, and it's sadly the history of the people of God still today. Notice the indictment of God on the people here indicates that now they have raised this to a whole new level. This is, these are the most grievous words and the most grievous complaints against him. Yet he says, your words have been harsh against me. And they weren't even, look, they weren't even words to God's face. They were spreading lies to other people. They were talking about God outside of God's presence. And God says, now you have really raised this complaining and grumbling to a whole new level. Your words are harsh against me. And notice the description of their complaint and the attitude. It's important for us to really wrap our minds around their attitude. There's really three points here. Number one, they had become blinded to God's blessing. They said it is useless to serve God. That's what they said. It's useless to serve God. They had become blinded to the blessing of God. They said, we've been faithful to you. We have done what we're supposed. They had not, but they thought they had. And we have done all of these things for you, and we've mourned, and we've had sacrifices, and, and we have slaughtered animals. And it seems to be that it is absolutely useless to serve you, God. That was their first complaint. They were blinded to God's blessings. They have become grumblers and complainers like those that were in the desert, their forefathers, like grumblers of every day, like grumblers of 2022. They thought it's useless to serve God. Why serve God? Doesn't seem like we're any better off than anyone else. They complain about what they don't have instead of being grateful for what they do have. That's why Philippians 2.14, Paul says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Um, how many think we need to put that verse on our refrigerators? Don't you think so? <laughs> do everything without grumbling and complaining. John Yates uh, wrote a book called Attitude of Gratitude. And in that book, he describes John Henry Jowett, who was a British preacher of an earlier generation. And here's what Jowett said about gratitude. Gratitude is a vaccine. It is an antitoxin and it is an antiseptic. 
And so then Yates goes on and says, what did he mean by that? He meant that gratitude, like a vaccine, can prevent the invasion of a disgruntled, discouraged spirit. When we are grateful, it vaccinates us from being ungrateful and disgruntled all the time. Like an antitoxin, gratitude can prevent the effects of the poisons of cynicism and criticalness and grumbling. And like an antiseptic, the spirit of gratitude can soothe and heal the most troubled spirit. That's why being grateful, that's why blessing the Lord of all times is so important. So first of all, they, uh, they were blind to the blessings of God. Secondly, they had become completely self-absorbed. If you look in your Bibles, Malachi 3.14, they basically say, well, what's in it for us? Here's what they say, what profit is it that we have kept your ordinance? God, we have kept your laws, and it seems to be that we have no profit whatsoever. They were completely self-absorbed. We have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. We have done everything like we were supposed to do, and we have no profit. They had become self-centered rather than God-centered. And when you do that, it becomes devastating to your spiritual growth. When you start hearing yourself say, well, God, I don't know why I'm even serving you. Doesn't seem to be helping me any. I could have not served you and probably had a little bit more fun and I would have still had these problems. What profit is it to me that I am serving you? They were completely self-absorbed. What have I gotten out of all of this? Why did I sacrifice so much for the kingdom? This attitude, look at me, is far too prevalent in the church today. What good is it for me to serve God? When I was uh, in Africa just a few weeks ago, I met um, several really incredible people, and I'll be sharing about that on the second week of our Kingdom Builders emphasis. But one of the projects that we are going to give toward this year is a project to help build a church. We'll, this will be part of our Christmas offering. We're gonna help build a church in Ethiopia. Let me just tell you the story real quickly. There was a Presbyterian pastor there 30 years ago that was killed by the Oromo tribe. Um, they kind of bring in little gangs on occasion, especially in Ethiopia and Somalia, in areas that really have very little access to the gospel. And if there is any Christian witness at all, they have been known to kind of have a killing flurry. And they did that about 10,000 people were killed in Ethiopia 30 years ago by this Oromo tribe, and this Presbyterian pastor was one of those. He has a daughter by the name of Hannah, and Hannah married an Ethiopian man by the name of Omat, and they moved to the States, and um, they just decided they were gonna pursue the American dream. He has his PhD, she has her master's, they both have great jobs. And about a year ago, God began to stir their heart that he didn't want them just to live the American dream. He wanted them to do something great. And they're going back. As a matter of fact, they're going back the first of the year to Ethiopia. And they're going to plant a church in the very community where her father 30 years ago was killed. They're going to plant a church among that tribe that killed her father. There's no self-absorption there. Somebody say amen if you believe that. That's God absorption. The people of Judah had become completely self-absorbed like so many American Christians have become. What's in it for me? And God said, 
you're not my treasured possession if you have that kind of attitude. And thirdly, they had become envious of the evil who had prospered. Verse 15, they said, so now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They looked around and it seemed like the wicked people were the most blessed ones. And they became envious of those who had prospered, who had not towed the line as they felt like they had towed the line. Peter Adams says this, envying other people's happiness is fatal to our confidence in God. Distant fields are always greener. It's easy to look at someone else's life and think that they're walking in green pastures because it's at a distance. They always look greener, but when we begin to envy other people's blessings, it destroys us. Say amen if you believe that. It is fatal. So how do we conquer the sin of envy? Number one, um, we remember that comparing ourselves with others will always leave us discontented or arrogant. Let me explain. I can find, you can find, not just I, we can all find people who are in much better shape than us, right? Can you, do, can you everybody here, unless you're really arrogant, can everybody here find, can you find someone better than you, right? We all can. And we all can find people that are worse off than us. And so when we begin to envy, it destroys us. How do we break that? By remembering that when we compare ourselves with others, it'll either leave us discontented because they have more than us, or it will leave us arrogant because we have more than them. I'm not talking about just physical possessions. We, we're talking about our lives, our growth. I will either be extremely arrogant or I will be extremely discontented. So stop looking at others. Stop envying someone else. Secondly, we need to focus instead on our relationship with God. Thinking about what God has given us, not about what we don't have yet but thinking about what God has given to us. I don't know how many of you know the story of George Mueller, fascinating story, you need to read his story sometime. He was a missionary that, that literally prayed in, he, he had an orphanage and he literally prayed in food constantly, so many times without anything, but he trusted God and he prayed and God brought food in. He had five friends that he said, I prayed for every day and, and, and he prayed for like 50 years before the first one came to Christ and the second one was like 60 years and three got saved after he died, but he was a man of prayer. On February 6, 1870, George Mueller's wife Mary died of rheumatic fever. Been married 39 years and four months. He was 64 years old. Shortly after the funeral, he was strong enough to preach a funeral sermon as he called it. What text would he choose when God had taken his beloved? He chose Psalm 119.68, you are good and you do good. And his three points were the Lord was good and did good when he gave my wife to me. His second point was the Lord was good and did good in so long leaving her for me. And his third point was the Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. Under this third point, he recounts how he prayed for her during her illness. Yes, my father, the times of my darling wife are in thy hands. Thou will do the very best thing for her and for me, whether life or death. 
If it may be, raise up yet again, my precious wife, thou art able to do it, though she is so ill. But howsoever thou dealest with me, only help me to continue to be perfectly satisfied with thy holy will. Anybody feel convicted this morning? We're so far from that. We defeat envy when we focus on our relationship with God. Number three, we should spend time every day praising God for something good he has done in your life. Can I just challenge you? This is real simple. Can I just challenge you to make certain that tomorrow you praise God for something good in your life? Don't roll out of bed grumbling because you looked at your phone first and saw the weather report was going to be bad. Why don't you... Don't do that, all right? Don't, why don't you roll out of bed and thank God for something good he's done for you? Number four, know that envy blinds us to the difficulties that others face. You start envying somebody, you don't know what they're walking through. You don't know how tough their life may be. You may just envy what they have or envy what the image that it seems like they carry. But know that envy blinds us to the difficulties that others face. And finally, number five, you can conquer the devastating sin of envy if you will remember that you are here to serve God. He is not here to serve you. Amen, Pastor Kevin. That is good preaching. It's true. We're here to serve God. It's not his job to serve us. Aldous Huxley said, too covetous is he for whom God is not enough. We just saying, Christ is enough for me. How many of us really meant it? Is he really enough for us? Or is it, well, Christ is good if the rest of my life is good. Too covetous is he for whom God is not enough. Those ancient Israelites were serving themselves and not God, and they were angry at God. How many are glad you came this morning so far? Amen. All right. Secondly, let's talk about the people who are God's treasured possession. We've spent enough time talking about the people who God says, I, your, your security is not guaranteed. The people who are God's treasured possession, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, saith the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Number one, God treasures those who fear him. He treasures those who fear him. Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 34 in verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Look at this. It seems a little contradictory. I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 4 and verse 7, the angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So he delivered me from all my fears, but the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him. There are three words in the Old Testament for fear. The first of those is pakad, it means to dread. The second one is arats, it means to be, to, to be terrified. And the third word is yare, it means to show reverence for. 
God doesn't want us to shrink back and be terrified of him. We need not fear God's anger and God's wrath if we reverence ourselves before him and trust him. Secondly, not only does God um, treasure those who fear him, but God treasures those who encourage one another. Bible says in verse 16 that this group of people, they feared the Lord and they talked to each other. They encouraged. This was the remnant of people that were left. As we get to the end of Malachi, most of the people had turned their back on God, but there was a remnant of people that were encouraging one another. They feared the Lord and they spoke to one another. You see, encouragement and exhortation is what God calls us to. The whole of the book of Hebrews is about cheering people on and encouraging them in their walk with Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And even more, as you see the day approaching, God treasures those who encourage one another. God treasures those who he observes fearing him and encouraging others. Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord, they talked with each other. They encouraged one another. Look at this. And the Lord listened and he heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Everybody look right here for just a moment. God hears you. Say amen if you believe that. He hears what you say. He knows what you think. He knows what you're saying on the other end of the phone or on the text message or on social media. He knows what you're saying when you're at the coffee shop and you're grumbling and complaining or are you encouraging one another and building one another up. God treasures those that he observes fearing him and encouraging others. He values them highly. The Bible says that God listened, look at this, and he heard. He listened to those people and they were fearing him and they were encouraging one another. And so there's a scroll of remembrance. God wrote those names in a book. A book of remembrance is made for them. It echoes God's word to his people in the wilderness that he told Moses to speak. Exodus 19, five and six. He said to Moses to tell the people, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you shall speak to the children of Israel. God listens. God listens in on your conversations and mine. He knows what I think. He knows what I say to you. He knows what you say to me. He knows what we say to one another. He knows if we're encouraging one another and if we are walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the end, it will all make sense. Verse 17 and 18, God says of these people, they will be mine on that day. Maybe not right now, but on that day, I'll make them my jewels and I'll spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then, what? Well, please get this, then you'll be able to discern between the righteous and the wicked. 
between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Everybody look right here for just a moment. You see, the whole issue here was that they were looking around and they were seeing people not serving him and it seemed like they were being blessed and they got envious and they grumbled and they complained. And God said, just focus your attention on me. You serve me, you fear me, you encourage one another. And on that day, it'll all make sense. On that day, you will be a treasure to me, and on that day, you'll be able to tell the difference between those who serve me and those who do not. I will spare them, God says, not because they're perfect, but because they feared me and they encouraged one another about me. One day, the difference between the wicked and the righteous will be seen and clear. We are ourselves undeserving, but how many are thankful that his mercy is everlasting? Don't get yourself bent out of shape by what's going on in our culture and thinking some people are getting by scot-free. You keep your focus on him. Fear him. Encourage one another. And on that day, on that day, you'll be a precious treasure. You will be his prize jewels. Annie Dillard says, nothing could more surely convince me of God's unending mercy than the continued existence on earth of the church. Still faithful, even though things don't always go the way we want them to go, still faithful, still trusting him. I want you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to bring this to a close. Just hold steady. Nobody leaving. Just hold steady and stand with me if you would. So what do we do with all of this? What is the word for us? Is this even relevant to us today? And I would argue very much so. Everybody just look right here for just a moment. So the people of Judah, had lost their um, passion to be faithful to God. They looked around at what was going on in their world and they saw people that were unfaithful that seemed to be as blessed or more blessed than them. Seemed like God wasn't judging the wicked. Seemed like the wicked were getting by. There seemed to be no issue with them. And here they are making sacrifices. Here they are living under persecution or at least under slavery to a foreign nation. And and so God said, you have complained and you've grumbled. You've said, what's in it for me? You become envious. You're self-absorbed. So God says, you'll be judged. But then there's this remnant over here, and they fear me. And they are encouraging one another. There are two groups of people. First of all, those who approach God grudgingly. They're blinded to his blessings. They complain. They're self-absorbed. And they envy. Those folks are in danger before God. If you find your life like that, if you're blinded, if you, if you can't find the blessing of God in your life, if you're just constantly complaining, if you're self-absorbed, God, what is in this for me? Or if you are envious of others, you need to ask God to help you with that, to deal with you in that area, because that's a dangerous place to be before God.
But then there are those who reverence him, who encourage one another. Who no matter what's going on in their lives and no matter what's going on around them, they say, we're gonna fear the Lord. We're gonna encourage one another and speak to one another. Words that edify, build up and exhort. It's to these that God looks upon and he says, these are my treasured possession. How many real honestly want to be God's treasured possession? And what you want to be, you want to be one of those kind of people. The final word, the key to being God's treasured possession is seeing one another in the same way. This is really what, where I want to get to today, but we're going to get there in about, in about a two or three minute span here. I think most of us might be able to walk out of here and say, yes, I think I am God's treasured possession. But where I really want you to get to is to walk out of here and say, yes, that person across the sanctuary is also God's treasured possession. They're also God's special creation. Eugene Peterson certainly have not agreed with everything that his life has represented or everything he's taught, but in his book, he was a pastor, he's now passed away, he was a pastor and author, but in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he notes that it's easy for us to look at the grandeur and the beauty of the mountains or to bask in the warmth of the spring sun and recognize the beauty of creation. Yet sometimes we ignore the people right in front of us. And here's what Peterson wrote. Several years ago, he said, one of my students who lived a distance away and rode a crowded bus to the college each day said to his wife as he went out the door one morning, I'm just gonna go out and immerse myself in God's creation today. The next day, his parting words were the same. Just gonna go out and immerse myself in God's creation today. On the third day, she called him back. Don't you think you ought to go to class today? couple of days walking in the woods or on the beach is okay, but don't you think that enough is enough? And he said, oh, I've been going to class every day. Then what she said is all this business about immersing yourself in the beauty of creation. He said, well, I spend 40 minutes on the bus each morning and afternoon. Can you think of a setting more thick with creation than that? All these people created, created in the image of God, created male and female. She said, I never thought of that. Peterson concludes, we need to embrace the people around us with the same delight as we do the hawks soaring above us and the violets blooming at our feet, men and women, children and the elderly, the beautiful and the plain, the blind and the deaf, amputees and paralytics, the mentally impaired and the emotionally distraught, each a significant and sacred detail of nature, of God's creation. How much more enriched, happy, fulfilled, and rewarded would we be if we could see one another as God's treasured possession created in his image. Israel would not. They grumbled and they complained and they envied and God judged them. But let us be the people that he writes in the book of remembrance. Let us be his treasured possession. Bow your heads with me if you would. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never made Christ the Lord of your life. You say, Pastor Kevin, I'm not serving him today. My heart is not right with him.
I'm not ready to meet him. But I want to be before I leave today. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone in this room that would say, would you pray for me, Pastor Kevin? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt when I leave here today that my heart is right with him. Anyone in this place that would say, pray for me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone in this room. Let me ask a second question. Head still bowed. How many would honestly say, I I need a little bit of a um, attitude change in my life. I want to be God's treasured possession. I want to be that prized possession, but sometimes I grumble and complain and envy and question a little too much, and I want God to kind of check my heart. Nobody looking around, but how many would raise your hand and say, I need some work in my life in that area? And how many would just say, real honestly, no one looking around, how many would say, I want to be able to see the beauty of God's creation in those people maybe that previously have even rubbed me the wrong way? I want God to help me see them as his prized possession. How many would raise your hand with me and say that is the desire of my heart? Lord, we thank you for your word today. Help us to see you for who you made us to be. Help us to become your prized, treasured possession. Help us, Lord, to fear you and to encourage one another and to speak to one another words that exhort and build up, I pray in Jesus' name.